Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. You are an amazing God. You are unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable. And we thank you for being that kind of God. There's no power in the universe that can even slow you down. Uh, Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be your children, to be on your side. We were your enemies, and you made us your children. And, and Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that you'd bless our time in your word today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, we've even been, been uh, looking at, talking about the biblical attitudes, appropriate, proper, biblical attitudes for the church and um, it's kind of a larger uh, section of, of just what is the church and, and what the church com- is composed of. Next week, we'll be looking at the uh, purpose of the church, given a definition of the church, and those kinds of things. We just want to sharpen our understanding of the church. But we've been looking at attitudes because attitudes are, are very important. If you don't have the right attitude, you can do all of the good works, all of the right things, but if you don't have the right attitude, it's not good. It's not good. And I thought, well, we need to define attitude. So let me do that for you. An attitude is just a combination of ideas. It's a combination of ideas. The way you view things, the way you see something or someone. And it's a combination of understanding and information your perspective, your presuppositions, your judgment, you bring all of that to the table. And, and that, that affects the way you see things, the way you see someone. It's your attitude. Um, and it, it affects your posture, your uh, manner, your feelings, your, your disposition. It affects really everything about you. The way you see something, your attitude towards something, it affects you. It just does. And attitudes are, like I said, are important. We can operate a church without proper attitudes. We can do the right things or we can do a lot of good things. But if we don't have the right attitude, then we are not glorifying God. We're either glorifying man or we're glorifying Satan. But we're not glorifying God. If we don't have the right attitudes, the right attitudes are essential for the church. And frankly, folks, we can have the wrong attitudes. We can have bad attitudes. But the good news is, is that attitudes can be changed. Attitudes can be shaped and informed. We can have proper biblical attitudes. In fact, within the church, you say, well, we've never thought about this before. We, you know, most churches, before they start a church, they don't say, well, here's proper attitudes. No, because the Holy Spirit naturally builds that into the church. When the Holy Spirit works and changes a heart at salvation, He begins to work on these things. And if the Holy Spirit is genuinely working in a church, these attitudes will reflect that. These attitudes are going to be there. They're just naturally built into the church. Now, I know it's contrary to what you see on TV. You, you see on TV, if the Holy Spirit is working in a church, boy, and you see all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, people getting healed and people falling back and speaking in tongues. I mean, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? That's foolish. It's wrong. It's bad theology. It is not 
right. When the Holy Spirit is working in a church, there's going to be proper attitudes, attitudes that glorify God. That's the way the Holy Spirit manifests Himself within the church. And it's for God's glory, for God's praise. He gets the glory and honor for the church then. So proper attitudes, proper biblical attitudes are essential for the church. That's our theme. It's been our theme really the past four Sundays. And the question we've been asking, well, then what are the biblical, proper biblical attitudes? What, what is the attitudes that a healthy church is going to have? And we've been looking at 17 of them. Um, we've looked at 14 so far. But if the Holy Spirit is working in a church, here's what we're going to see. You're going to see an attitude of humility, not pride. When you go into a church and, and there's just pride, everybody's eaten up with pride and selfishness, you can guarantee that the Holy Spirit is not working in that church. An attitude of obedience, not self-willed, but others focus or self-willed, but obedient to God. An attitude of love, you're going to see that. If the Holy Spirit is working in the, the church, you're going to see an attitude of love, not Someone full of themselves. The attitude of unity, not division. An attitude of service, not self-serving. An attitude of joy, not this morbid introspection. If the Holy Spirit is there, then that's what you're going to see. An attitude of peace, not this habitual anxiety. An attitude of thankfulness, not ingratitude. An attitude of self-discipline, not chaos and undisciplined lives. If the Holy Spirit is working, you're going to see proper biblical attitudes of watchfulness. Not being pawns of Satan, but but aware that Satan is out there and working. And you're going to have an attitude of accountability. You're not going to have lone rangers or, or these rogue agents, independent believers out there just working independent of the local church, independent of each other, even within the local church, if the Holy Spirit is working. An attitude of forgiveness, not an attitude of bitterness and hatefulness and anger and slander and wrath. Not, a, not that attitude. Number 13 is an attitude of dependence. Dependence upon God, not prayerlessness. If you see a church that doesn't pray, you could see, you could say the Holy Spirit is not there. And we can do, you, you could find the biggest church in America and all of the activities that go on, the world's biggest churches, but if they don't have the proper biblical attitudes, you can guarantee the Holy Spirit is not working in that and God is not glorified. Now, what are the proper attitudes? We've looked at 13 of them. We've got four more to go. We can do that today. Number 14 is an attitude of flexibility. An attitude of flexibility. Flexibility is the ability to adapt to any situation. Now, I want you to see this. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul had the most flexible guy that you will ever meet. We'll look at this in just a second. But the, the principle is, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 7. And this is the love passage. This is the passage that you probably know well. You'll recognize it. Verse 7, he says, 
bears all things. Now, this is love. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Folks, that is flexibility. Bears all things. He's flexible. He can handle that. When the Holy Spirit works in our life, produces an attitude of, of love, there's an attitude then of flexibility, of bearing with one another, enduring all things, enduring the circumstances of life. Now turn over a, a few uh, pages to Second Corinthians chapter 11. Because I want you to see an illustration of this. Second Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23. There's flexibility. If you are God's servant, you're going to have to be flexible. <laughs> That's just the way things are. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. I'll just start there. This is Paul talking. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as insane. I, he's embarrassed to even have to, to bring this to the, the plate and on the, the, the table, his own suffering. But he's going he's gonna to compare himself with these foolish hypocrites he says i'm more so in far more labors in far more imprisonment beaten time without number having a, having in danger or often in danger of death five times i received from the jews 39 lashes three times i was beaten with rods once i was stoned three times i was shipwrecked a night in the day i spent in the deep I have been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. You, you get the point? There's flexibility. If you're going to be a servant of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to be flexible. I have been and I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, he says, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. On top of all of the things that God has taken him through, he's, he's taken on the responsibility, the concern of, of these churches. Folks, if you're going to be a servant of God, flexibility is just, that's just part of the job description. Flexibility. And we have to be flexible. If God is in charge, or like you say, say it this way, since God is in charge, he is the one that's calling the shots and the rest of us, well, we just adjust to his will. Here's what God is doing. We just follow after God. And that's, that's just the way it is. You say, well, what do we have to be flexible with? What are we flexible about? Let me give you three things. With personal relationships or with others. We have to be flexible with others. The Philippians 2 passage that uh, uh, I referred to earlier says that we are to consider others as more important than themselves, other, more important than yourself. Because we have to be flexible with other people, with, with each other, because we're all on different levels. We're all growing. And we're all at different levels of maturity. And we have to be patient and gracious and... and uh, there's different levels of understanding. We have to be patient with each other. And we have to be gracious and flexible with each other. 
Number two, we have to be flexible with circumstances, don't we? And we saw this the, the, last, um, the last week in October. Uh, people were starting to come in for Sunday school, and uh, things were just normal for a Sunday morning. And all of a sudden, what? The power goes off. We thought, oh, well, good, it, it'll be fine, it'll, be, uh, it'll come on in just, uh, just a little bit. And Chad went down and, and uh, talked with the guys down there. No, it's going to be five hours. It's not going to come on today, basically. And uh, we had to be flexible. We don't have windows in this church. We don't have any, if there's no electricity, there's not much you can do, right? We have to be flexible. You understand that. Flexible in circumstances. We have to be flexible with the, the PowerPoint, the, the microphone system. They just sometimes, I think they're demon-possessed most of the time. So we have to be flexible. We also have to be flexible with leadership. We have to be flexible with the leadership. Now, God is ultimately in control. God is ultimately leading us. And as the, the leaders, as the elders go to the Word of God, we look at the Word of God, and if there's things that in the Word of God that we see that needs to be changed, then we have to change them. We, we, we have to adapt. Now, now that, was, that was Pastor Flager, wasn't it? If the Word of God said something, it didn't matter what the tradition was. We have to, we have to do what the Word of God says. That's a good pastor. We, ha- we adapt to... The Word of God, we adapt to what God has to say because He is the one leading us. And, and that's a refining process. It's always, it's always changing. It's always refining. And Daniel's Bible Church has really been a model of flexibility through, through the years of adapting to what the Bible says. We've gone through massive changes. I was just thinking about this morning. When I first came on here, we had six full-time staff and one part-time staff. That's amazing. We have two full-time staff and we have two part-time staff now. That's a big shift. And you, you guys have been very flexible. The Lord has, has shifted things. The Lord has moved things around. Pastor Flager, the Lord took him. That's just the way, that's the way it is. We all have to adjust. He's a dear friend, dear leader. So we appreciate the flexibility. I appreciate your flexibility with me. I think one of the biggest mistakes, I think, in, in my career, if you would think of it that way, is when I came out of seminary, went right into capital ministries. With capital ministries, the primary thing that we would do is we'd develop our Bible studies, but we'd sit around a, a large desk and a conference desk, and we would have Bible studies, and we'd discuss the Scriptures. And I got good at that. That's one thing that I got good at. But one thing that I was not practicing, the first basically 10 years of uh, out of seminary was I wasn't practicing preaching. And I appreciate your flexibility as I try to increase or get better at, at preaching. You've had to be flexible. And I appreciate that. But let me warn us. Let me just apply this. There's a warning here. What's the opposite of being flexible? Being rigid. And what happens when we, we're rigid? We, we complain and, and we grumble and we say, oh, we never did it that way before. And we, we've got to maintain a modicum of flexibility, folks. If God is in charge, then we have to be flexible. Number two, let me ask you this. Is there somebody that you're just not flexible with? 
Is there somebody that you just have a hard time loving and you just say, Lord, I just... And we can be flexible. We need to be flexible. Let me ask you this one. Are you battling with God? Sometimes we're not flexible with God. We read God's word and we say, okay, God, I see what you're saying, but, oh man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be faithful coming to church. I don't want to give like I need to give. And you have to yield. You have to say, no, there's a flexibility. God ultimately has control over my life. He is the one calling the shots because I am his servant. I'm his servant. So as God's servants, there's an attitude of flexibility. Number 15, we have to add an attitude of growth. An attitude of growth. You say, how is that an attitude? Well, it's an attitude. Turn over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. But attitude can be defined like this. It's spiritual growth is the development from spiritual infancy to spiritual fatherhood. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 says this. As a result, you are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful schemings. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together and held together by whatever joints Every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body. As we come together, we're growing together. We're moving toward Christ's likeness. And he says, for the building up of the body of, uh, itself in love. We're growing together and we're growing toward Christ. That's the picture. That's the idea. In fact, that's the point. An attitude of growth. That's the point. That's what we do. We're moving. Moving toward the same direction. Christ-likeness. The key term there is movement. Is maturity. It's growing. It's it's changing and learning and building. Peter says we're to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. We're growing. We're moving. And that's an attitude that should be in your mind. This is what we are here for, is growth and movement. In fact, in the New Testament, we're called disciples. Disciples. The word disciple means learner. We, we learn. And if a disciple is not learning, then he is no longer to be a disciple. He's no longer called a disciple. Now, there's a few things that we need to, to know about this. That Learning is not just getting a head full of knowledge. We learn with a purpose. We have not just, we're not just learning doctrine in a vacuum as though that was going to create in us some kind of change or, or do anything for us. No, we learn with the purpose. And the purpose is to know God. That's the point. And we grow in our understanding toward God so that we grow in our love for God, in our relationship with God, in our walk with God. Now, the best picture that I can point to in Scripture is 1 John chapter 2. 
And this is a wonderful picture because, and I won't, I won't go through the passes necessarily, but First John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, where the picture is that we're born into this spiritual family, the church. We're born into this family to grow and to mature into spiritual fatherhood. So we come into the, the church as spiritual babes. All we know is Abba Father. That's the that's what John says, Abba, this dad dad. All we know is that we have been forgiven of our sin. And then we move, if we continue to grow, we move toward uh, being a young man and establishing ourselves. And you say, how do you do that? It says, to, because we grow in the word and we overcome the evil one. We overcome Satan. Satan no longer trips us up with, with false doctrine. And then the, the third step is spiritual fatherhood. And that's coming to know God in a deeper, more intimate way. So here's how it works. As we study Scripture, we learn a, a characteristic of God. We learn how God worked in Daniel's life or David's life or Moses' life or Noah's life. We see God's characteristics in Scripture and we realize this is what God is like. And then we begin in our lives on a daily basis. We begin to interact with God on that basis. On that basis. So here's what we do. We go to scripture. We learn. Hey, God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. And then, so I learn that. I put that in my mind, this, this doctrine, this theology. And then I, be, I, I go about my day and I begin to realize, you know, the things in my life, that person cutting me off, that person I saw in the grocery store, every little thing, God is sovereign. And I begin to, to think through life in just that way. Just the way, this is the way God is. And He is working in my life. In His sovereignty, I begin to see it in my life. I begin to see that as I walk with him or immutability, the idea and I see in scripture that God doesn't change. He is faithful. He is always there. He will never leave us or forsake us. He is there. And I begin to look at my life. You mean God was in that circumstance? I mean, God was in that circumstance. Yeah, God was faithful. He doesn't change. You, you can look back in history. God was still faithful. God was still sovereign. Yeah, you can see the, the way God works. Or we look in Scripture and we see God is good. God is good. And then we look at our life and say, God is good? Yeah. It doesn't seem to be good. And then we, we have to look at Scripture and then we evaluate our own life and we say, okay, God, you are good. No matter what you bring into my life, it's going to be for my good. All things work together for good. God is good. We begin then to walk with God on that basis, understanding of the way He is, the, His characteristics, His attributes. And folks, that's how we begin to grow. We begin to take the Word of God, implement it into our life, and we become spiritual fathers. We become strong through the Word. Satan doesn't trip us up anymore. And we become those who walk with God on a daily, regular basis. And we know God intimately. And folks, that produces in us and enriches our lives in our fellowship with Him and our fellowship even with other believers. But we will never know the fellowship of God unless we know the doctrine. God. 
It starts with an understanding and teaching of God. It starts with the understanding of the Word. So we have to be learners. We have to be those who are willing to grow and have an attitude of growth. Now let's just apply this. First Peter chapter 2. Turn over there. First Peter chapter 2. You're... You should be close there. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2. This is a wonderful verse. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. Now listen, I've heard some newborn babes. And what do they do when they're hungry? What do they do when they're hungry? Do they just sit there and say, well, I was just patiently waiting for you, mom, to bring the bottle. I knew it was getting time. So, no. They scream. They cry. They demand attention. And Peter is saying for us in applying this principle, if we are going to grow like a, a baby needs milk to grow, then we need to, to desire the word. And I, I wonder if you come in on Sunday mornings and you're just so hungry, you say, Pastor Carl, give us the word. I'm so hungry. And do we desire it? Or have we just been snacking on junk food throughout the week to the point that we just don't really have any spiritual appetite? No, I, I'm good. You don't have to give me the word. I, I, I fed on uh, potato chips and Skittles the whole week. What would that look like? Well, a lot, of, a lot of soap operas, a lot of things from TV, a lot of junk food from uh, the Internet. And you just get filled up and you just think, I don't need God foolish we're to desire to grow and we're to desire the word and if you don't have that desire there folks you need to cultivate that you need to ask why don't i have that desire if i'm a baby christian i want to grow i want to learn and and that desire should be there that's a healthy desire so the question that we ask then is is what is your attitude do you have an attitude of growth do you see movement in your life um, someone said to me the other day, <clears throat> I was looking at a picture from high school. And he said, you haven't changed a bit. And I thought, what? I don't even recognize myself. I've changed in, immensely. I don't have a hair. I have a beard. I, I, I've completely changed. Completely changed. Not for the better necessarily, but I've changed. But I, I'm smarter than I used to be. And I'm stronger, I think, than I used to be. And I'm more faithful to God. Hopefully I'm growing into that position of being a spiritual father that I'm walking with God. So I, I, I hopefully I am changing. And the question is, do you hunger for the Word? Do you meditate on the Word? Can you say like Job, that the Word of God is my necessary food? That's the proper attitude. We have to have an attitude of growth. Number 16, an attitude of faithfulness. Attitude of faithfulness. Paul, he was a great example of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, just read this one verse. 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Paul says... In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards, and that's what we are, that we be found faithful or trustworthy. That we be found faithful. We are to be faithful, trustworthy 
servants of God. Now, someone that's trustworthy, this is someone who uh, doesn't walk away, doesn't abandon his post. This is someone that uh, sees their task all the way through to the end. Now, Jesus talked a lot about being faithful, didn't he? In fact, you'll remember that uh, we are to be found we're to be found faithful. That's what we want. We want to hear those words, well done, thou good, and what? Faithful servant. We're to be faithful. To be faithful. I was reminded when we were listening to this song, we are singing the song, those three words, unchangeable, unstoppable, and, uh, or unshakable and unstoppable. That's faithfulness. God is faithful. God is faithful. I think this is just wonderful. It's a great depiction of faithfulness. We are called to faithfulness. We're called to see our task through, through to the end. All the way to the end. Now that's going to change our perspective, folks. Because we're not, uh, we're, we're not running a, a marathon. You, you train for a marathon different than you would train for the 100-yard dash. Paul, Paul, he said, uh, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He saw his life as just being spent, being used by the Lord, just, just being poured out. Not dumped out, just, just trickling out. Just everything that he does, that's a good picture. Just, it's just faithfulness, faithfulness to the Lord all the way to the end. Now, there's a few things that we need to understand about this. This is not a lack of zeal. This is not being stagnant, but this is developing the Christian life into a lifestyle. This is just what we do. This is taking all of the principles, all of the truth, biblical truth that we see in Scripture, and implementing it into our lives. And I'm afraid that much of the Christianity that we see today is somewhat detached from history. They don't want to know the faithful they like the, the young, the youthful, the energetic, creative, the change. But folks, what we want is the wise, the faithful. We want truth. We want to be able to, to face life standing and with conviction. Those are what's important to us. This whole idea, I know this movement of radical Christianity. Listen, if we would just leave normal Christian lives, that would be taking a stand. Taking a stand on truth, not this charismatic fervor that we see today. It's just based upon emotions and, and it's fleeting and it just goes away. No, we are to be day in, day out, standing on the Word of God. Not like Israel, having a zeal but not according to knowledge. Or to, or to be faithful. Faithful. So let's apply this just quickly. Number one, we have to elevate faithfulness over, over emotional zeal. Today, experience and emotional zeal, boy, that's everything. The Bible elevates faithfulness. Commit thou to faithful men, Timothy. You pour your life into faithful men. Men who are going to be there. That's what Paul told Timothy. We, we need to elevate Faithfulness over emotional zeal, despite what the world tells us. Christianity is not an emotional, emotionally driven uh, religion. It is driven based upon conviction, a conviction to obey. 
That's just taking a stand for Christ and an unwavering, unchanging, unstoppable stand. I'm going to be here. We need to uh, look at older, faithful Christians and we need to elevate them. We need to honor them. We need to respect them. They need to be sought out. Do you do that? Younger Christians, do you seek out an older guy or an older woman and say, look, I want to learn from you. I want to learn from you. Do you you respect faithfulness? There's something beautiful about just someone that has been walking with the Lord, faithful, reading the Word, walking with God, knowing God, not being shaken, not being drawn into today's drama. They've just, they're just faithful. Faithful. Sometimes you see, I see ministers or teachers that have this. Um, they've, um, they've become indifferent to people. They've, they've gone into ministry or they've been involved with working with people with, and they've had bad attitudes or they've developed bad attitudes and, and they've come out embittered, self-centered, self-focused people through the years. You've seen those. And that can happen. God has called us to faithfulness. So, by way of application, number five, that we're to be faithful. Be faithful to church. Be faithful in our giving. Be faithful in growing and desiring to grow. Be faithful in reading the Word and obeying the Word. I heard a statistic the other day. It's just, it's just frightening. The average church member, the average church attender, comes twice a month to church. That's not faithfulness. That's not faithfulness. As younger Christians come into the church, folks, they need to learn the principles in a lifestyle of faithfulness. Prioritizing the principles of Scripture and allowing them to change our lives just on a daily basis to where we just take a stand for Christ and we just keep moving forward. Slowly but surely. Number 17, and the last one, an attitude of hope. An attitude of hope. This is what you see in uh, Christ's ministry, Christ's sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourself treasures in, er, on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break through and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, nor thieves break through and steal. For where your treasure is, and here's the principle, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For us, our treasure is in heaven. And that's where our heart is. Folks, that is a motivation of hope. That's an eager anticipation of our home going into heaven. Eager anticipation of seeing Christ. Good definition of hope is just looking at the future with the with a sense of assurance and eagerness for Christ's return. That's hope. Hope. We need that hope. And it has to be an attitude of our life that we're, we're motivated, we're driven by hope. Illustrate this. Where your treasure is, there's where your heart's going to be. 
lately I've noticed that I've been looking at the stock market pretty much every day. Why? Because it's so up and down these days. I mean, you can drop 400 points or you could gain 400 points in the same day. So I'm looking at that thing and it'll drive you crazy. You know, you, you put a little money in. It's not much, let me tell you. By now, it's probably gone. But you look at that thing every day. Why? Because that's where your treasure is. If we put our treasures in heaven, where are we going to be looking? We're going to be looking to heaven. So, Lord, come back. I want to see my treasures. I want to see Christ. That's where my affections lie. Christ. Not the temporal stuff of this world. We're living that out, folks. We're living that out. Let me just give you three quick uh, applications of this. Three applications. In 1 John chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 3, this is a good verse to keep in mind. John says this, And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. 1 John 3, 3. If we genuinely hope in Christ, if we have our hope fixed on Christ, then what's the application that John gives us? is that we will purify ourselves. Do we allow the anticipation of seeing God, seeing Christ return, does it drive us toward holiness? I want to be standing before Him in holiness when He returns. That's the idea. Isn't that a wonderful picture? Wonderful application of that passage. Let me give you another one. This is, this is the first one, First Peter one. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks to give an account for the hope that lies within you. Yet with genuineness and reverence. Let me ask you this. Do you live your life in such a way that people see, the unbeliever sees the hope that's, that is in your life that they, they say, hey, what kind of hope is that? Where did you get that hope? What drives you? Do, do people ask you that? Do you, live, do you live in such a way as that hope is seen, seen by unbelievers? Let me give you another application this is just applications from scripture romans chapter 8 this is a wonderful passage it would be good to memorize it if you don't have it memorized but romans chapter 8 verse 23 says this and not only this are we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting eagerly now we groan why because of sin Because sin's in the world, because sin's in our own body. We're struggling. We're tired of the struggle. And so that just forces us, that moves us. Groaning within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons. Do we say, Lord, come. The redemption of our bodies. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is not seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we persevere. We wait eagerly for it. That's hope. That's the kind of hope that we see in Scripture. A hope that drives us. Lord, come quickly. Do you use the, the trials, the pains the, in your life to, to generate perseverance? 
and faithfulness toward God, that's a good application, fine application of that. So we're, we're to have an, apple, or an attitude of hope and eagerness and waiting for Christ's return and our uh, redemption as our bodies will be redeemed and be in heaven with Him. Now these are biblical attitudes, biblical attitudes. And they're essential, folks. They're essential for the church. And this is a better way to evaluate a church is looking at the attitudes in the church. Do you ever say, oh, what about that church? Look what they're doing. And look how they're growing. And look what's going on over there. Is that the best way to evaluate a church? Let me tell you, folks. Christ will build His church. He'll build His church. And when He builds His church, He uses the Holy Spirit to build His church. And these, these attributes are the attributes that you're going to find. If the Holy Spirit's working there, this is what you're going to find. Today, it just seems, just seems easy to build a church. All you have to do is have a, a charismatic orator, somebody that can get up there and entertain and woo the crowd, have some good ideas. And, and man, you can have a church. You can have a church. But let me tell you, it's much harder. It's much harder to maintain a church, to keep a church going for 131 years. Daniel's Bible Church is 131 years old. And it's much harder to keep a church faithful and free from error than it is to start a church these days. Anybody with enthusiasm? Anybody with smoke and mirrors can start a church. Folks, we need to be faithful. We need to be those who have the proper attitudes that are developed within us, attitudes from the Holy Spirit. And then help us to be faithful, just committed, committed to be here, to give, to be involved in other people's lives, to be growing ourselves. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You. Thank You for Your faithfulness to us. Thank You for Your patience. Lord, we're so foolish sometimes. We see other works. We see other churches. And we say, oh, why can't we be like that? Lord, You've been faithful to Daniel's Bible Church for so many years. Lord, I thank You for the pastors that we've had that have been faithful to the Word. Lord, may we be found faithful. May we stand before You and You say, well done, good and faithful servants. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.